Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Wake Up by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, your word is truth, your word is life. I pray today that we would grasp your truth, that it would fill our hearts. That Lord, today as we open your word, Lord God, that our hearts would be open and you would breathe upon our hearts, we ask. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, For for those that are new, we're we're working our way through our series in the book of Revelation. And of course, we've been working our way through the seven letters to the seven churches. Today, we find ourselves at the Church of Sardis. Interesting little place. Uh, One of my most favorite documentaries uh, on television is uh, is a documentary series called River Monsters. My boys will know exactly what... That is our river monsters. Most people here have probably even seen it. Um, it's all about, it'll stop you going swimming, by the way. <laughs> uh, if you watch this movie, it'll stop you swimming. But it's all about fresh water. Uh, well, that's how it began, sorry. It's all about fresh water and uh, these reports from around the globe of, of these things that have happened. And uh, Jeremy Wade goes and investigates. I can remember the very first one. In fact, he would still say it was his toughest one, was when he finds himself on one of the major tributaries of one of the major rivers uh, in the world called the Ganges. And he's right up in the foothills of the Himalayas. And it's interesting because what he f- actually finds out is that uh, there were some people that were taken by what is called a gooch catfish. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of those. Uh, you will never hear of a fisherman or an angler bragging about catching catfish. Um, cats and fish should not go together. However... <laughs> I'll have to ask God what he was thinking when he did that. But however, what that uh, show highlighted was he went on a full investigation of the whole system to find out what was going on. And he went further down the lower reaches of the Ganges. And it kind of amazed me because what we find is when you have a look at pictures of the Ganges, I know some people here have been to India and will probably understand what I'm talking about. But when you look at the River Ganges, everything looks right. It's got an enormous amount of fresh water that flows in. All of the runoff is monsoon runoff and, and snow melt from the Himalayas. And, and it works its way down. There's many tributaries. And, and you have a look at the banks of the Ganges, there's people everywhere, which may be the problem, by the way, which is there's people everywhere washing and swimming in the river. But what he highlighted very quickly was the further down the river you go, there's no fish. There's a reason for that. The pollution levels in the Ganges River is so immense that it can't support life in some areas. In fact, the pollution, uh, people that are washing their clothes and, and, and bathing in the River Ganges uh, are bathing in water that has untreated sewerage, uh, in toxic industrial waste that is pumped in from the leather tanneries from up and down the river. It's got agricultural runoff. It's got uh, animal carcasses. And what I was highlighted in this documentary was these catfish had, had developed a taste for human flesh because of the habit of holding funerals by burning people on the water. And... When you look at the River Ganges, you, you look at all this that's going on, and you think, man, this is a, this is a great river. It, it, it's alive, but it's dead, man. That river is dead. And Jesus has a message to the church at Sardis. This, today's message is very different. And he says to this church, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. The city of Sardis is an interesting place. 
Uh, one of another one of the uh, seven cities we find in Asia Minor. And Sardis was a little bit different. Sardis was a reasonably kind of complacent place because it was surrounded by these enormous cliffs on three sides. And they, they were a complacent bunch. They kind of thought, well, you know what? We're never going to be attacked. No one's ever going to conquer us. We've got all this protection. But they were actually conquered two times in history uh, because of their complacency and because they were not vigilant and because they were not watchful, which is going to be enormously important as we work our way through. Sardis was, a, uh, was renowned for its immorality. It was known for its debauchery. Uh, it had a reputation. The city had a reputation for its immorality. And we will find that the church also had a reputation. Let's read what Jesus says as he opens up. And, and to the angel of the church in Sardis, or to the pastor, or to the messenger of the church in Sardis, the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Just, just come back to that one. That's really important, but we'll come back to it. And notice Jesus says, I know your works, and there's nothing that follows that. You'll know that if you've been tracking with us as we've worked our way through, you'll know that to the church at Ephesus and Thyatira and Pergamos, all those other churches, Jesus would say, you know what, I know your works. And he would go on to list them off. You guys are faithful. You guys are steadfast. You guys are known for your love. Sardis, I know your works. And you can kind of hear the silent pause. And, Lord, and, and nothing. No list afterwards. Jesus goes on and says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive. You have the reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Now that word alive there in the Greek is, is, is a verb form of the, of the word zoe, which is zeo. It means living out the God kind of life. Jesus says to the church at Sardis, he says, you guys have a reputation. It is said of you and you have a name amongst all of Asia Minor that you are a really super spiritual church. That's You're living out the God kind of life. You're, you're super spiritual. You have, a, you have a reputation that you're thriving. You have a reputation that you're growing. Everything on the outside looks good. Just like that river Ganges, everything looks good. But take a cup of water from the Ganges. We'll come back to the River Ganges when we conclude. But take a cup of water and do a scientific analysis of what you're holding in your hand. There may not be a whole lot that pleases you. Sometimes the Holy Spirit takes a cup full of our hearts as well. Sometimes what is in there can be very revealing. Jesus says you have a reputation. You know, today we are, we are far too concerned, I feel, both this is across the landscape of church, but maybe even as individuals, we have become far too concerned about reputation. We have a habit of asking the right questions to the wrong people. Let me kind of clarify what I mean. We spend far too much time out in the world asking them what kind of church they would like. We notice that millennials don't go to church anymore. We notice that Gen Z, you know, you don't kind of engage in church anymore. And so what kind of church would you like to come to? Well, I'd like to, I'd like the messages dulled down. I'd like the lights turned off. I'd like the music a little bit louder. I'd like, I'd like, has anybody ever stopped for a moment to ask God what kind of church he might like? Maybe we're asking all the right questions, but maybe we're asking the wrong people. We're all too busy about surveying the church landscape. Let's take a survey. Let's measure. Let's manage. But at the end of the day, has anybody ever surveyed God and asked him what he would like to see in the church? 
Jesus says, you guys have got a reputation. We're all concerned. All too often, our, our concern becomes about how will that be perceived? How will the community see us? I wonder how that'll be. We can't say things like that. I wonder how that would be accepted. Jesus was the most loving, graceful person you could have ever met. But Jesus was not nice. Because nice means I will dole down who I am and I will change my speech and I will change my stance to suit you because I don't want to offend you. Jesus was offensive. In fact, if the gospel that we hold to does not offend sin, it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm all for improvement. I'm all for measuring. I'm all for what can we, how can we do things better? But can we ask God first? Jesus says, you guys have got a reputation. Everything looks shiny on the outside. You've got a nice building. You've got plenty of people sitting in the seats. Seats are nice and comfy. Paint job looks good. But you're dead. There's no life. What does Jesus mean by that? That's pretty confronting, right? Jesus turns up to church on Sunday and says, you guys look good, but you're dead. Oh, welcome. Take a seat at the front. Yeah, preach that one, pastor. Yeah. Here's my mailing address. What does Jesus mean? The word dead there means people or bodies that are fatally affected by sin. You see, Sardis had a problem. Sardis loved the world as much as they professed that they loved Jesus. They loved the pleasure of the world. They were, for want of a better term, they were what I like to call Christian atheists. I know that sounds like an oxymoron, and please bear with me for a moment. But a Christian atheist is one that probably has a relationship with God. They probably know God, they know the word, they certainly know portions of scripture, but they live their life denying the power that lies within. You see, Jesus says, you guys have got all the shackles and the decals and everything's looking real good, but you're missing the main component. You haven't got any life, you're dead. And what Jesus meant by that was, is we go back to the very beginning when he says, I am the one that holds the seven spirits in my hand. Seven speaks of completeness and wholeness, the full and complete work of the wonderful, perfect gentleman, the Holy Spirit. You see, the reality is we can, we can, we can, we can survey millennials until we're black and blue in the face. We can have all these wonderful flash programs. We can start up programs. We can do community events. And all of those things are good and great and of themselves. But let me tell you, the world doesn't need another program. The world doesn't need any more literature. They don't want to know what it is that we're against. They need a demonstration and the power of the Holy Spirit. They need to know that there is a world that is far more real than the one they see with their eyes. And that's what the book of Revelation unveils for each and every one of us. That's the most important thing you must grasp from the book of Revelation. There is a world that is far more real than what you can grab with your hands. Jesus says, Everything on the outside looks good, but on the inside you look dead. And I, I was reflecting on this, and, I, and my mind went back to right back to the beginning in Genesis chapter two. Imagine being Adam for a moment. Just pour, just ponder this verse: God formed man from the dust of the earth. Just just ponder that, and then just ponder 
God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Just ponder for a moment, opening your eyes, and there's God breathing into your nostrils. Just imagine that. Like, social distancing's out the window. But I was thinking about that and I thought about the first part. And the first part describes the church at Sardis. You see, God had formed man from the dust of the earth and everything was there. All of the arms were there. All of the legs were there. Ladies, we actually even had a full set of ribs at that point in time. Everything was there, but there was a problem. There was no life. And sometimes we are in danger of calling that church. We've got, every, we've got the buildings, we've got the programs, we've, we, we, everything's down, we've got everything down pat, we've got, everything looks good, everything, but there's no life. What we need is for God to breathe inside of each and every single one of us. But our nostrils are clogged and our lungs are closed and our hearts are callous when God wants to breathe his life into each and every single one of us. And unless God breathes into our nostrils, we are clanging cymbals and noisy gongs. We, if you have a look at the Old Testament, I love how one preacher puts it. Tony Evans would say, when you have a look at the Old Testament, God's the hero. And he is. God the Father is the hero of the Old Testament. Then we move into the Gospels. And it's all about God the Son, Jesus Christ. But then you get into the book of Acts and it's all about God the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, the whole conversation is about walking in the Spirit, being mindful of the Spirit, being renewed, being filled with the Spirit. That's a present participle, by the way. And every one of us in Pentecostal circles, I've said it, we've all been in Pentecostal circles long enough. Every single one of us get to Acts chapter 2 and we all get shaky and wiggly and we're waiting for the goosebumps and the hair, I don't know why I shaved my hair because it doesn't stand up on end anymore. We all get excited, but the problem is when we get to Acts chapter 2, we all get excited and we forget to press the rewind button. Press the rewind button for a moment. Ask yourself the question, what brings 120 people to the upper room? And you'll have a testimony from guys like Peter that says, you know what, before I climb them stairs to the upper room, God broke me. Before he could fill me, he emptied me. What does emptying look like? Emptying looks like the rooster crowing and you realising I've got nothing in my heart unless God breathes inside of me. That's what Peter found out. We want the Holy Spirit. We want the bells and whistles. But are we willing to pay the price? Are we willing to pray this at your risk? I want to put a caution tape around this prayer. God empty me that you may fill me. Caution tape. You pray that at your peril. God will absolutely answer that prayer. And I guarantee you another thing, you won't like how he answers it. When God holds that cup of water in his hand and you have a look at what is the contents of your heart, we are all wretched without Christ. Thank you, sister, who prayed this morning. We need the blood of Christ. We walk towards God, we approach God, we draw near, but we take every step upon blood-stained Stones. Thank God for Jesus. Jesus doesn't leave the church at Sardis there. I love how Jesus does this. He doesn't say, you know what, to Billy-O with you, I'm on my way. Jesus always offers a way out. What if that is us today? What if we're sitting here saying, you know what, I'm dry. I want to know. 
I want to know what it is to find streams in the desert. I want to know what that living water looks like. Maybe we're like that woman at the well. What is this living water that you speak of? Jesus said, you can drink all the water out of here that you please, but you're going home thirsty. And that's what happens. We go to all the wells in the world, but we're thirsty and we're thirsty and we're thirsty. Jesus says, until you drink the living water, oh, the wonderful Holy Spirit, until you drink the living water, you will thirst. Jesus says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. So what does Jesus say to that church? Jesus says, wake up. We'll expose what that term means in a moment. But for those who don't know, my very first car was a 1974 Toyota Corona. It was a fantastic car, but there was a small problem I had. It was an interpretation on speed limits. (laughs) I interpreted them one way. Some guy in a little blue hat interpreted them a different way. I read the old King James, Robin. He was in the ESV, if you can understand my (laughs) meaning. But what it cost me was, uh, they said, you know what, Sean, you're such a good driver, we think you should take three months off. (laughs) This is why we preach indoors for the lightning, Terry. Such a good driver, you should take three months off. So I did. I parked my 1974 Corona and I made a mistake. I left it there and never touched it for three months. Three months came and like a little boy in a lolly shop, I ran out to that car, turned the car and there was an almighty bang. That car had a body, it had wheels, it had a gearbox, it had a clutch, it had everything. But you know what? It was dead, man. Time to wake up, but there was nothing there. Jesus says to the church at Sardis, it's time for you to wake up. And that term actually means to to a city that should know what this means. That term means you guys have got to be diligent, you guys have got to be vigilant, you guys have got to be watching. The actual term in the Greek, wake up, means be watching. And today, watch is a loose term. I don't wear one because I break them. I'm convinced that most people today don't wear one. However, to be watching in the first century meant something very different. To be watching in the first century meant that you were stationed at a tower and it was your job to stay awake, stay vigilant, stay diligent, not just sitting there awake, but actually watching and observing and looking out because somebody might be coming. To the church at Sardis, you need to wake up. You need to be watching. You need to be vigilant. Why? Because someone's coming and it's not who you think it is. And to the church that sits here today, I want you to know we need to be watchful and diligent. This is the message of the book of Revelation, by the way. This is your end time theology right here in a nutshell. Wake up, be diligent, be watching because somebody's coming. And it's not the enemy like you may think it is. Somebody far, you don't want to get on the wrong side of the person that's coming. You want to be on the right side. More about who's coming in a moment, but what does it mean for us to be awake? What does it mean for us to to wake up? I'm reminded of, uh, I'm very selective about people that I listen to, by the way, but there's one guy I listen to in America by the name of Matt Chandler. He's a he's a Calvinist, but we'll forgive him for that. But he, he, he's a charismatic, reformed charismatic, I would say. He loves the Holy Spirit. Has a church of, has a very small church in uh, Texas, about, you know, oh, 12 to 15,000 people. Very small church. But here's a guy, the reason I listen to him is, here's a guy who walks what he talks. 
He was, uh, some years ago, he was diagnosed with a uh, terminal brain tumour, uh, underwent extensive surgery and is still trying to get off the meds afterwards. And here's a guy that says, I, but for the grace of God, you know, he's a very young guy too. But I can remember he's heavily involved in a ministry in Iran. And I was shocked because uh, I'm, I'm listening to this whole message, but it involved this guy from Iran. And by the way, if you want to know, one of the greatest revivals on the planet right now is happening in Iran. The power of God is sweeping that country like you wouldn't believe. However, this guy came over and he said, and I can remember Matt Chandler uh, 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 interviewing this guy. And he says, you know what? He says, if you could sum up the Western church, he says, you've been here for a month. If you could sum up the Western church with one word, what would it be? And he said, oh, that's simple. He said, asleep. Oh, Hello. Back on the plane to Iran for you, my friend. Hello? But he's right. And what he meant by that was, you guys don't realise the power that is at our, <laughs> at our disposal. We, he says we live in it because we pay, they pay an enormous price in Iran. They're paying an enormous price in China right now. But oh, the power of God is hitting that place. Are you asleep? Have you fallen asleep In the tower, Jesus says it's time for you to wake up to be watching. Then Jesus says, goes on and says, strengthen what remains and is about to die. And to strengthen means to establish. It means to fix firmly. It means to direct oneself towards. It is time for us to wake up and be vigilant and get our focus and our direction in one place. You might be sitting here this morning and you might be saying to yourself, you know what, uh, how, is it that we can, how is it that God can breathe inside of us? What can we do, Jesus? We find ourselves dormant. We find ourselves asleep. We find ourselves just like Sardis. We're on our last breaths. What do we do, Jesus? How do we expose ourselves to the breath of God? Second Timothy 3.16, for all scripture is breathed out by God. Ezekiel 2, chapter 2, verse 2 says, And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me. Two men were on the road after the resurrection. Two men are on the road to a little place called Emmaus. And they start up a conversation with a man they've never met before. And as they're coming to a fork in the road, they bid this man that he would come and spend more time with them. And so this man follows them and you have to bid him. You have to want him. You have to... Be desperate enough. But they bid him and he comes and after he's gone, it's like he must have been Jesus. Uh, But did our hearts not burn within us as he spoke to us and opened the scriptures to us? If you're sitting here today and you're saying, I want to be on fire for God, then put some wood on the fire, friends. And open up your Bible. It's time to get back into the secret place. It's time to drop the prayer lists. It's time to drop the agendas. It's time to get out of bed two hours earlier. It's time to sit at the feet of Christ and say, Lord, would you please breathe on the coals of my heart? I I love the words of Ezekiel chapter 37. My favourite prophet, Ezekiel. Weird, weird little dude. But I love him and I love chapter 37 because what happens in chapter 37 is he walks into, God gives him a vision of a valley of dry bones and the valley of dry bones is God's people. The valley of dry bones is Israel. God says to, he says to little Ezekiel, he says, can these bones live? Ezekiel's like most of us. Only you could know, oh God. Only you know, oh God. I love that answer. You know, oh Lord. And God, what does God say to Ezekiel? He says, prophesy to the bones. 
And as Ezekiel begins to prophesy, as Ezekiel begins to speak the word of God, there's a rattling amongst the bones. The bones begin to come together. The bones begin to form. And then we see muscle and sinew and all goes down. And then God says, speak to the wind, spirit. And breath enters into them. You guys have fallen asleep. I make you one guarantee, if you drive out of here today and you never put fuel in your car, if you never go to the fuel station, friends, your time is limited. And so many of us go through the Christian life when we don't pull into the service station long enough for God to get the hose out and fill us back up. Jesus says, wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Ouch. Jesus goes on and says, Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, look who's coming. I will come, says Jesus. More about that in a moment. Jesus tells them to remember, to be mindful of the things. In the Greek, that there is actually, it says, how you first received the word. You see, Sardis had a problem that is becoming a problem sometimes in all of our lives. And the call to remember, the call to be mindful, is for you to put the authority of God's word back where it should be. Instead of us running around wondering, uh, what does the internet say and what does the politician say and, and what, does the, what, what is the current culture saying? Yeah, why don't we ask about what God says? The number one ploy, the devil will always get in the back door and it always sounds like this. Behind every work of the enemy, you will hear these words. Did God actually say? Genesis chapter 3, it begins with questioning God's word, questioning the authority of God's word in Adam and Eve's life and what happens. Oh yeah, you might be right. Maybe I can eat from the one tree. How did that work out for you? The problem for Adam and Eve is the problem that we all face today, we all face the same challenge, is allowing God's word to take a lower authority in our lives. I wonder what would happen. Sometimes I'm scared to ask myself the question. What would happen if the Apostle Paul walked in here on a Sunday? What if the Apostle Paul came to a board meeting, Robin? What if he came to an eldership meeting? I wonder what he would say. Would the Apostle Paul sit there and go, you guys crazy? We would never have tolerated that. Maybe Paul would sit there and go, you guys hear yourselves? Is it talking about anything and everything apart from what the real concern is? Maybe this. The thing that should guide every part of us and every avenue is his word. And what had happened in Sardis was this didn't have the importance. And so the enemy gets in the back door. The call to the church at Sardis is to put God's word back as the number one authority in their lives, not everything else. Jesus says, if you will not wake up, there's an if there. I will come like a thief. 
I don't know about anybody else, but one thing I've noticed is if a thief is going to rob your house, they're not likely to put a note in your letterbox and say, listen, I've noticed that you're usually out between between 10 and 2. I'm going to call around about 11. If you can leave the door unlocked like you normally do, I'll just slip in the back door. You won't even know I was here. Um, and if you could just tie the dog up, everything will be cool. No, nobody's ever received a letter. What happens is uh, non-diligence in locking doors, non-diligence, what happens is uh, the thief slips in when you least expect it. That's the message. You go about your life, everything's hunky-dory, and then when you least expect it, the thief comes, just like Jesus. Jesus is coming. Jesus is returning. That's the message of the book of Revelation. Jesus is returning, and you better be ready. That's the message that began 2,000 years ago. Jesus says, Matthew 25, then, 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 most important word in that chapter, then the kingdom of God will be like this. What? Ten virgins. Ready. Waiting, oil, lamps, burning. The foolish ones were the ones that didn't have any oil. As it was in the days of Noah, what did Jesus mean by that? Have a look at the days of Noah. Uh, Noah, for 120 years, is building a boat, nowhere near the coast, in a place that it had never rained, they hadn't understood rain, he wasn't anywhere near the coast, and Noah decides to build a boat because God told him. Why? Because God told him there's a flood coming. And everybody laughed at him, and everybody mocked, and everybody was marrying, and everybody was going about their life. Well, you do whatever you want. You you, you do you, Noah. We're going to do our own until the water burst forth and the doors of the ark shut closed. Closed. Oops. That's the message today. For every person in this room today, I don't know where you sit with Jesus, but I need to tell you right now, He is coming. I am doing you a disservice if I do not tell you that He is coming. And I implore you, I urge you to be ready for Him. How can you be ready? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to ask Karen if she can prepare herself to come and play as I bring this to a close. And I want to come back to the River Ganges, if I can. <clears throat> Jesus goes on and says, and verse 4, he says, Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. Wow, that's a powerful verse. But listen to what Jesus says about these people. You might be sitting here and saying, What does it look like to be ready for Jesus? What's, what's the opposite of the condition at Sardis? How can, how can I move forward today? What can I do? What do I have to do, Jesus? Well, well, for those that have not soiled their garments, Jesus makes them a really beautiful promise. They will walk with me in white. You know, I was thinking about the River Ganges. And you know what? The problem is so often that you could you go to one of the densely populated areas, there's people everywhere, you get a big glass of water and don't drink it if you're at the Ganges, by the way. <clears throat> you could spend a month on the toilet. However, if you take that glass to a lab, you're going to find some stuff in there. And, and, and the problem is we look at the immediate surroundings, don't we? The problem is we're, we're all about scooping everything off the surface. Oh, look at all this pollution. Well, I'll, I'll, just, I'll, I'll just scoop all the rubbish off the top. But we don't realise that as quick as you're scooting rubbish off the top, the pollution is flowing back down the river. And the problem is not where you're standing right now. The problem is always upstream. And if you were to walk upstream in the Ganges, you could take that cup of water. Whoa, how did all that get in here? If you go upstream, you might find the leatherworks where it's just gushing toxic waste. 
You might go a little bit further and there's a, there's untreated sewage just getting pumped into the river. You might go a little bit further and the farmers are just letting all the agriculture wash come through and they're chucking their dead animals into the river. What's the, it's little bit by little bit by little bit by little bit. What does it mean for us to walk with Jesus in white? What does it mean for us to live our lives with unsoiled garments? Walk up the rivers of your heart and cut off the channels of pollution. Maybe you've got to turn the TV off. Maybe you've got to disconnect the internet. Maybe if you're sitting here and you're saying, you know what, I struggle with images I find on the internet. In the name of Jesus, disconnect your internet. Cut off those streams of pollution because they will contaminate your heart. And before you know it, you're a hot mess. And you're thinking to yourself, how did I get here? Sardis is in that position. Jesus says, you guys are dead. reality is every person in this room has those pollution channels we've got fault lines, we've got weaknesses, we've got cracks I don't know where you're at this morning maybe the Holy Spirit's taken a glass of your heart And you're having a look right now and you're not liking what you see. I know when the Holy Spirit takes a glass of my heart, there are times when I, I don't like what I see. It's time to shut off the pollution channels and allow the living water to flow into your life. We need the Holy Spirit breathing inside of us. morning just as I close in prayer you can stand, you can sit for a moment can we just be still in his presence and allow him to put fingers on those places in our lives Spirit, I pray that you would breathe upon every heart in this room. I'm sure there are people suffering. I'm sure there are people that are going through trials. Maybe there's people sitting in this room that feel distant from you and are desperately thirsty. upon the coals of our hearts, I pray. I pray every person here would find the secret place at the feet of Christ, away from everybody else, away from everything else. With our hearts opened, I pray, Lord, that you'd walk each and every one of us upstream. We want to walk with you in white, Lord. want your word to return to its place of authority in our hearts and in our lives and in our churches. Come Holy Spirit, we pray 
we invite you, Holy Spirit, come into this life and into this church and into our hearts, we pray. Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.